Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. All right, then, and all right, then. Great to have you here. 13 now and a brilliant weekend of weather ahead. If you thought, ah, falls here, it's almost single digits at night. I was bundled up last night. I was wimpy last night. Really defining wimpy. Uh, up there in uh, Scarborough uh, for soccer. We were on the road last night, took it on the chin. Ajax did uh, with a loss to the uh, esteemed mm, Scarborough Academy. But yeah, SA3. A-S-C, Ajax Soccer Club. Uh, if you're into the acronyms, I got them all for you. 3-1, we lost. Um, but it got home really, really late. Thinking about it last night, though, was driving past a lot of uh, a lot of retail. A lot, like you drive past Scarborough Town Center, you drive past Pickering Town Center, out east, there's malls. Ajax doesn't have one, but Oshawa Center's got a big one. That's where you know I'm sponsored by Uniqlo, and uh, I'm not sponsored by them, but I wish I was, and I spend... Good chunks of money at Uniqlo for socks. I like buying uh, boxer briefs there. We're sharing, right? We're doing that. And uh, and Oshawa Center is a good mall. It's a very underrated mall out there. But I thought about retail yesterday, and a real estate person told me about a week and a half ago what's happening in downtown Toronto, and I'm sure it's happening in, in the suburbs where you are, Mississauga, Oakville, Richmond Hill, wherever you want to go, um, empty spaces. It's a concern. There's been a lasting impact on real estate from the P word, mm-hmm, the pandemic. And real estate has not kept up with shifts in behavior. Right now, the vibrancy of the city, to me, is at risk. It was always, if you've heard me for long enough, it was always something I worried about. Um, remote work factors into that. There's no question about it. Um, people deciding whether or not to go into places is also part of it. We've talked about how the concept of even of, of a city like Mississauga in the early days was, well, you live there, but you go into the city every day. You might you might have a grocery store around there. Maybe you can get a workout at a gym nearby in Mississauga. That's convenient. But you're coming into work. And yesterday, I thought about my driving pattern yesterday. And I want you to think about this and follow my, uh, my chemtrails. Follow my carbon footprint yesterday. Get up, drive in. Downtown here at Korski, do the show. I got a call yesterday morning, though, that said um, I'm having some, uh, you know, a little left, left leg issue. I think it's a meniscus issue. Um, and I'll keep you updated on that um, if, if surgery is necessary. For sure I will. Do I get days off for that? I feel like I do. But I don't want the surgery. I do if it fixes me. Um, so they say you can come out to this amazing, amazing doctor uh, and you can come see him at 2.15 today. Can you do it? And I'm like, ah, I can. I don't want to give up. I, I was desperate to get looked at, desperate to get the requisition for an MRI, which I'm going to have in the next couple of weeks. And yeah, I, I need that, that meeting. So I go home and then I get in the car again and I go to uh, basically north of Yorkdale Mall. I do that. And then I come back from, York, from that area, Yorkdale Mall area, and I come home. And then I settle in for a little bit, get a little bit of a rest, little din-dins. And then uh, uh, jump in the pool. That was fun. Get all fresh and, and good. And then we're off to Scarborough for soccer between like 8 and, and 11.15 or so. Busy travel day. But think about the person that really doesn't leave their general vicinity. And that's more and more people. And the real estate expert I was talking to uh, made the point that retail is still going to be okay. 
depending on where you are. I can't. I'm a retail advocate. If they if they banned shopping on the internet tomorrow and getting the stuff delivered to you, I'd applaud it because I think retail is important. I think it creates the fabric of a community. I'm pro mall. Now I know some people when malls came in in the '80s and it was part of the culture. People like where did where are all the mom and pop shops? These are all corporate entities here. But it gets people out and it gets them shopping, and that's social, and that's good. But the problem of, that I saw uh, among uh, driving past all that retail yesterday is it's changing. And we already know that there's talk about converting empty office space um, to residential, uh, you know, residential apartments. Office vacancy in Toronto, it's at a very, very high level, a very high level. And all you hear from people is it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's all you hear. And then yesterday, I see when it comes to transit, really good numbers that I want to share with you. Go Transit's kind of like clap, clap, clapping themselves about good transit numbers. In July, I'll read you this, Go Transit ridership recovered to 69% and the Up Express to 85%. That momentum continues into the fall. Weekend events, sports games, concerts, festivals. Here's the problem. The CNE is sort of not the last big festival. But the CNE follows up, you know, Canada Day celebrations, Caribbean Carnival. People have loved going to Bud Stage for concerts, uh, BMO for soccer, Jays for baseball. And that will soon end. And then weather will dictate what you're doing. And less time off will dictate what you're doing. And if you're already hybriding it up and working from home some of the time or all the time, it, transit is not going to be as much of a factor. So this is a it's I don't know what a make or break scenario is anymore. I don't know if it's make or break for the fall, but the numbers are really good. But I'm going to remind you they were good last summer. And then by November, late October, early November, like just gone, gone. I want to see hard numbers also related to where we go in October, November with ridership on Go Transit, TTC, etc., um, like just the anecdotal conversations, I still hear about it. Some of it was about safety, but some of it was about a shrug of the shoulders. And you say, I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to be going anywhere uh, at this particular point in time. So these are things. There's certainly things. Um, and I thought about it driving home last night. All right. I want to give you um, some of, of the apology from Steve Clark yesterday. We're going to get into this exchange that Doug Ford had with uh, Global News' uh, Colin DeMello, who was on our show yesterday. I know a lot of this media inside stuff isn't important, but I have uh, it's not important to you unless you're in the media itself. But I think people will be talking about it, and they were talking about it yesterday. Here's Steve Clark making an apology in the afternoon, but not a resignation. And to Ontarians, I want to say very sincerely that I apologize that I did not. I'm committed to making sure that the flaws of uh, the kind outlined in the report by uh, Justice Wake uh, do not happen again. That's why we've worked very closely and transparently with the Integrity Commissioner's Office, which he acknowledged yesterday in his report. And that's why, um, as a government, we're already taking steps to improve the decision-making process moving forward. As the Integrity Commissioner also noted, our government's motivation has always been to build homes, including um, those that uh, came about as a result of uh, the changes we made to the Greenbelt. 
Okay, again, he makes it to Friday at 5 p.m. today, and he certainly is going to. They're not announcing a cabinet shuffle. That was it yesterday. Let's get in front of this. They're packed up and headed to the Ford Cottage and the Clark Cottage and every other cottage imaginable. So that's that. That's that. Uh, Not saying it's a good week for Doug Ford. It really has not been that. But that's it. Steve Clark is going to make it to Friday to 5 p.m. today, and he's certainly going to survive uh, the next several weeks. Where that's it, it, I'd give it a 50-50 by end of the year that he's still the housing minister. I would say that. We'll get to more of that in just a little bit. I mentioned the CNE coming up. I'm planning on leaving the house the second I can Monday. We don't have a show Monday morning. Leaving the house the second I can and going to the CNE. And I'm hoping, praying it's not busy. Dave Bradley's going to give me that inside scoop when we check with him at 627. But our own Shiva Siddiqui. Packed the kids on the train, tied them to the seats with duct tape, and sent them to the CNE on your own yesterday. What's this all about? I did. So it was my older two boys who are now 13 and 14. And, you know, they've been, but they've been to the kitty area. And sometimes they go with us. Like we all go together every year because it's just, you know, you, you have to mm-hmm. do tradition at the end of summer. And they, but they're usually in the kitty area because of my younger ones. So I told them, like, you guys, I want you to go. They were nervous. I could tell they've never taken the GO train alone before. So fun, yeah, that's a fun me. first step, isn't it? It's a good it first was. step. Yeah. It was. So they, they had a lot of questions. Like, when would we get off? And how do we walk there? When would we go? I'm like, guys, as soon as you get exit the at exhibition, you're going to be there. It's super easy, especially like from where I live. It's just super easy. You go on the GO and you're there. So um, I walked into the platform. It was packed, jam packed. And you can tell. People are not going to work. People are going to the scene. That's just it. the way they're dressed, the yeah. age demographic. So I've sent them there. They were there all day. They had the best time. They came back, you know, in the evening and they were just, I think they were surprised at how much fun they had. But what you're doing on Monday, now I'm also doing on Saturday. We're taking the younger ones on Saturday morning. I know. Oof. Weekend. Get there. Yeah, get there. It's like oh, getting to Wonderland. You want to get there and be like 10th in the line or you're going to be 80th you. in the line at Wonderland. I- I've gone online. I figured out what rides you guys are doing. We have it all planned to like the the minute. We're getting to that parking lot at like 9.30 a.m. But now we're thinking, let's just take the go. Yeah, you should. Easier. Oh, God, yeah, you have to. Get in there and spend like, because at 10 a.m. on a Saturday, I really don't believe a lot of people will be up and at it. So give me two hours of like a little bit of quietness. Get like the crazy rides out of the way. And then... It'll start getting packed. Why don't they that's open the CE at what that's a great call? Because why don't they open the CE at like eight? <laughs> no, that's too early. Well, what is too early? The, uh, the ten the might be too early section. for some of them. The kids section I think could be open at eight because kids are up early. How about a twenty four hour Candace Wonderland? How about just get the behemoth at three in the, <laughs> the morning would be crime, quite a oh my fights, goodness, that's true. The fights that would happen. No, Canada's Wonderland already has its own issues and it's open at, at normal hours. This so could no. be a media lens thing too, because what did we talk about in May when Wonderland opened? Fights. Did they just stop? Did have all of them stopped or did they just happen so frequently we all got bored by it and, and people don't <laughs> post? All I saw this week for rampant youth misbehavior was people jumping on cars at Yorkdale Mall. Did you see some of that this week? I did. Right. They're stomping on random cars, like just one guy maybe, but then... 82 people are videotaping him. Again, we didn't do this in high school. I, I swear you, we didn't do this us. in high school. No, no. we did. And you know what? If there were camera phones uh, back then, I don't think we would have done anything. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. You and I are going to come back. We're going to give a little bit of a play-by-play, a blow-by-blow. Is this a little bit of crack in the interior of Doug Ford? They're really good at, at, at staying cool. He has this internal count to 10, Doug. You can tell he does, and I'm not sure he did it well yesterday. We'll get into that on the way back. This is Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. 
Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. An astute listener, Greg Brady, Shiba Siddiqui, David Hunter is in for Gordon Rennie, and Dave Bradley will uh, join us in about seven minutes from now with news headlines. But an astute listener uh, named Julie tells me via Twitter DM, SeaWorld Shiba opens at 9 a.m. That's the, can, do I, come on, do I hear 8.30, 8.45 for the CNE and Wonderland? Now they close at 9 p.m. also, which makes sense. Okay, but we're looking, you and I are looking for early openings. We don't need late closures. We need early openings at these places. Okay, do you go? Yeah, I know. That would be great, wouldn't it? Do you go on the rides when you're there? Yeah. At the C&E or... Going, or um, yeah, the C&E. I think I will. I think when, the one I don't will like... Will you be going on the the Polar Express? That's so, but has that reopened or is that still shut down yes. for a couple of days? It reopened as of yesterday. Did they figure out that the guy stood up on the ride? I think that was a rumor um, and, a, and a little innuendo uh, for the rider that he got up when you're not supposed to. Again, but would you hesitate? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but I haven't. My kid has just not been. He wants to go on Monday to the CNE, but he's a Wonderland. We are like it's me and my youngest, and we are the two out of the four people that are most into Wonderland. And we must have gone six times last year. I chaperoned his grade eight uh, day trip in June. We went a week later with other friends. We went to the we went to the media day. And you went to the media day this year and just, I think you came back with like eight pounds of rain. I think it just poured rain sideways it's on so, you. For yes, a we were soaked. Yeah. Right. But we went prepared. We had our rain boots. We had our rain coats. We <laughs> had, we were, yeah, no, we went ready to, to do it. To it might have been the worst weather day of the spring is my recollection. And you went anyway. It might have been. I don't think you're exaggerating. It yes. might have been. Um, so 9 a.m. open for uh, for SeaWorld Orlando. So there we have it. Um, all right. So, yeah, this is one of those things yesterday where Colin DeMello was on our show. He's the Queens Park Bureau Chief. Um, and and he went at uh, Doug Ford. Now, I, th- I think Ford is a little... We're going to play you both exchanges, then we'll both react on the other side. The second's a bit longer. But here's Colin DeMello's questioning for the Premier yesterday about the Greenbelt. I've been dealing with Colin for 10 years. I give him the utmost respect. And it works both ways. You, you don't attack me. I don't attack him. But you know something? We've known each other for 10 years. Do we see eye to eye on things some days? Yes, some days we don't. So I'm sorry if I offended his feelings. Okay, we did this by design. That's the reaction to the original clip. So again, you attack me. If you don't attack me, I don't attack you. Quid pro quo, etc. That's what you get from the premier yesterday. Here's the original exchange. We want to do the follow-up before what actually precipitated that particular moment. Here's Colin DeMello questioning Doug Ford on the integrity commissioner's finding that basically the province turned their back on some really important stuff regarding the green belt. Here it is. But Premier, okay. at, at what point do, do you take personal responsibility here and how are people to have trust in your leadership? Well, th- thank you for that, Colin, and I'm, I'm sure you just walked down the street from your home, that you have a home. But do you know many people don't have a home, Colin? There's hundreds, hold on, there's hundreds of thousands of people that home, hold it, there's hundreds of thousands of people that don't have homes. And yes, when I, 2018, we didn't have a housing crisis. Do you know why we didn't have a housing crisis, Colin? Because there was no jobs here. People weren't coming here. Because the last government lost 300,000 jobs. There was no interest in coming to Ontario. But now, since we've been in office, we've created an environment and condition for people around the world to come to Ontario. Let me finish, Colin. To come to Ontario. When we have a housing crisis, I have two options, Colin. I sit back like 
the other government did and let the whole province fall apart or we move forward and we build homes because I know you Colin a year down the road if we don't have the homes you're the first person that's going to be up here saying why didn't you build the homes all right Shiva Siddiqui out of, out of line stuff what's your what's your take on that exchange I think that Premier Ford is starting to crack under the pressure. That's what I hear here. Uh, and it's important to note that after Colin, after he told Colin off in that answer right there, another reporter from a different outlet actually reinforced Colin's original question. Uh, and several reporters sort of stood behind Colin on that because he was asking a question. I don't think Colin was out of line. Do you? No, I, I don't. Um, I, I think... Look, I, I someone may take it personally when you suggest um, was something something corrupt happen indicates someone is calling me corrupt. Therefore, that gets to the fiber of my character. And I think you're allowed to defend yourself. I think the point at the end, hey, Colin, if we didn't build the homes, you'd be the first to criticize that is a lot more fair than, hey, this is where you live. Well, exactly. Colin DeMello can fire that back and say, where do you live? And who pays for your play? The taxpayers do. Colin's a private citizen working for a private company. Yes, it happens to be our company. Um, But again, that's a quid pro quo. They decide you're worth a certain amount of value. They pay you for that value until they deem they're not getting that value. And with Doug Ford right now, and the same thing, the people can vote Doug Ford out and all of a sudden the things that he gets for free are no longer free. But I didn't think, yeah, I, I, I think that's a guy blowing his stack a little bit you know, to suggest, well, you have a home. Yeah, but he earned that home. He earned that home. He's when like, have you ever heard Premier Ford say he's wrong? Um, he's walked some policy back. Now, you're seeing what I'm seeing, too, is that um, people from Doug Ford's staff called Colin DeMello on the phone yes. and apologized. And I'm like, is that the same? Is that the I That's not that's not how I I, <laughs> I don't have a staff, but when I'm wrong, I try and own it. I try and eat it. I try and make sure I don't do it again. I well, that's try, the difference between you and, and, the, and the premier of our province. Yeah. I don't think he does any of that. Yeah. And I think he's in a lot of hot water. There's a lot of pressure that he's facing. You were very, very specific to say that you think the housing minister is going to be stepping down. I don't see that happening at all. I think there'll After be a shuffle, but but can it be a Mendocino like federal shuffle where all yes. of a sudden oops, maybe ten people move jobs around and because they really haven't done that right when they Sheba when they announced the cabinet you and I talked about Michael Ford right being uh, whatever the whatever he is the he's the minister of it's bad of that I don't know this citizenship and multiculturalism even yeah. better okay that's a hell of okay. a business card yeah multiculturalism. And, and yeah and you're like that experience comes from what who, hey hey don't talk about our future premier who like was that. second place in the, in the running to get that position like maybe someone else wanted that and the nepotism that happens in this province but there hasn't been to me it, unless I'm missing it now Marilee Fullerton left her her entire job. So she was handling, um, to be honest, the autism file that Lisa McLeod was handling at one point. I know she was the minister of long-term care, but she wasn't by the time um, the the election happened. And she got reelected. And then all of a sudden, eight months after getting elected, she's like, no, nah, I don't like this. I quit. I don't know the reasons why. Nobody does. And we'll she never know. And she lost that seat. My point is that everybody is still, you know, Clark housing minister, Lecce's been education minister forever, Jones health yeah. minister. Like the the faces are really really familiar and maybe they think they're ready for a shuffle and that's Switch where it up. that's where the Is court. that good enough for you if Steve Clark gets shuffled? 
I, it won't be. I mean, for the opposition parties, I think it will be. Um, but it's it's the same thing. It's like, are they making Marco Mendicino accountable at the federal government level for the Bernardo thing, for the convoy, for a bunch of stuff that's on his file that he kind of messed oh, up on? Oh, I don't on? think accountability and politician go hand <laughs> in hand at all. Yeah, yeah, there is that to consider. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. All right, we're excited to talk to Evan Scrimshaw. We had him on the show a few weeks ago, uh, handicapping, if you will, the Ontario Liberal leadership race. We'll probably do a bit of that near the end. But he raised a really interesting question um, that I didn't get a chance to talk to about early in the week about these new surveys. And it feels like we're ticking them off province by province. But this was Ontario's turn about whether parents want to know if their child is experiencing a conflict of gender or changing pronouns and what parents think about uh, how involved they should be. And he talked about that from a practical perspective, but I also think he said, where's the win going to be politically, which let's face it. It's what politicians and fans of political parties and politicians do think about. So I appreciate that extra layer to it. Evan Scrimshaw joins us now on Toronto today. Am I framing that right? You're kind of looking at the practicality. There's some morality questions as well, I think here and, and ethics for the education workers, but there's also how does, how does a political party grab this away if you're more a centrist party or you're a left-leaning party from the right, which has, I don't mean this like they have no point whatsoever in their argument, but they've certainly weaponized this and done well with themselves for it. It's hard for left-leaning people, progressives, however you want to frame it, to realize that they do not always have the public on their side. They're used to being the bulwarks of sort of a moral progressivism that in recent years has had the public on their side, right? On the gay rights fights, on abortion, they have the public on their side. And so they have always just been able to use that as their sort of cudgel against right-wing attacks on a woman's right to choose or a rollback of progress on on gay rights. But the public don't agree with the left on this. Mm-hmm. You know, my position is parental rights are basically fiction and these kids should be able to do what they want but i am fully aware of the fact that i am in a tiny minority on this 78 percent of people nationally think that parents should be informed if their child is trying to go by a different identity or different pronouns at school that is a massive fact in terms of how you are dealing with this from a political standpoint and the point i made in the piece is that There are two ways that if you're in opposition to a majority government, which given there are eight conservative minority or majority governments in this country right now is the fact for most of the left, you have to adapt either a sort of public pick a fight, which is what the liberals and NDP are doing on the Greenbelt housing stuff, or you can try and work with the government to find a solution to try and bring a path forward here. And I think on this one, the left has to be very judicious about what they do and how they do it because we don't have the public on side. And if you pick a high profile fight in defensive trans kids, you're going to lose that fight. You're going to damage the kids that you're trying to protect. And there is room for compromise and for a set of standards that allow kids who need protection to be protected especially with what Stephen Lachey said on Monday, there is room to find a set of robust protections for those kids that does not infringe the rights of most parents. And if the left doesn't do everything in their power to make that happen, 
then it's an abdication of responsibility. I think, and I think a couple of things about what you said. I think, I think Lecce was really measured. I didn't find it. Now I didn't because I, I'll, I'll wager um, that maybe like a lot of listeners, given we're, we're just talking percentages, more listeners just for the sake of argument would agree with Stephen Lecce than not agree with Stephen Lecce. But Evan, I also think he's really good at this. I think he's good at framing something, not being blustery, not being confrontational, not sounding discriminatory. Some people who are inclined to discriminate will agree with him. But he's also, to your point, grabbing a bunch of people in the middle who are confused by it, who say there's no easy answer. I want to hear from both sides on this. But as a starting ground, as a starting you know, ga- opening gambit, he's appealing to people who just aren't sure. And that pr- may, may be a lot of people right now. Sure. And there isn't an easy answer, right? Because, hmm. yes, in the abstract, as a general principle, yeah, a parent should know what's going on in schools. That's not an unreasonable proposition. And when you have an education minister, you know, who is who is saying who is taking actively taking into account situations and i'm quoting him directly here where there are exceptional circumstances or situations of potential harm to the child you're not going to be able to paint stephen lecce as some you know republican light you know neo ron DeSantis crazy person and if you try and run this argument a it's going to lose and b the only people in the room who write these regulations if and more likely when, because frankly, that's the way this is going, there is some form of legislative change or some new regulations are going to be crazy conservatives. And if we want to do anything about this, if we want to make sure that these kids that everyone is claiming to care so much about are actually protected, the minister, whether you like the guy or not, whether you think his mm-hmm. his handling of COVID was right or the way he's handling these negotiations are right, he is giving he you could you could run the 401 both ways through the opening he has left in these in his statements so meet him there assume he is acting in good faith and try and write it you know try and write some regulations that will protect the kids and i'm terrified that purity politics are going to get in the way because we have people left-wingers on twitter in these spaces talking about anything any negotiation any compromise any strategy being a betrayal and it's a far greater betrayal to put these kids in further harm by not trying to negotiate and not trying to find a way forward evan scrimshaw is our guest on toronto today i also think and i'm and sometimes i'm just really impressed by it to be honest and i think it's a bit of a a hill to overcome for whoever wants to unseat this ford government but whatever is in the water in ontario provincial politics it's not comparable to federal cpc politics which i know you've also written about they're just they just don't step their foot in the in the muck there's not a leader taking a photo with a guy who's got an offensive t-shirt there's not to be honest, there's not a Derek Sloan. I know he's not in caucus anymore. There's not a Leslin Lewis. They're ju- I know, of course, they're going to have people that, um, you know, may have maybe religious fundamentalists in their party. But I bet you the others do as well. And they just hide it better. You, Sam Oosterhoff's adamantly um, pro-life. That's fine. He doesn't hold a serious position in the government. They can survive that. Are we almost is it is this a big you know, again, a big fence to climb for the liberals and NDP because the conservatives just don't make that many mistakes in, in what we call a culture war circumstance. 
yeah no like doug ford when uh when the u.s overturned roe v wade doug ford just you know re reconfirmed his position as pro-choice and mm-hmm. it was fine no one no one cared he doesn't seem particularly interested in culture war issues as a general rule i mean lecce like again the lecce quotes are, are pretty reasonable i suspect part of the reason they're as reasonable as they are for a conservative government is the fact that lecce is pretty young he doesn't seem to have the sort of like very old school sort of discomfort or or whatever on these issues you know there's the there's mm-hmm. the fact that you know some on the right are attacking ford for continuing to fund some anti-racism initiatives this week um you can't paint him as a as this republican culture warrior and the thing is i don't like the ford government i like i don't pretend otherwise but if you want to, if you want the ford government to lose because of you know the stuff with steve clark that's come out this week or you know uh they don't pay nurses and teachers and doctors enough money or whatever your issues yeah, are. hospitals are closing sylvia jones healthcare whatever right like you, right. you, you there's there's issues you can dig in on the mat yeah yeah, and if you want to beat him, the best way to do it is to neutralize this issue politically, because the public are not on side with us. The public are not on side with my specific brand of very left wing politics on this issue. And so if you don't want this to be an issue that can prolong a Ford government, the way to do it isn't to dig your heels in. It's to compromise. It's to find the better solution. The one I proposed was a commission of experts on the issue, yeah. which would a punt it out of the political space. B would actually allow for, you know, people with much greater expertise on the specific procedures. When you get a situation that's borderline, when you get a situation where a kid is saying, I'm not really sure I can tell my parents, you have a, a mechanism and a procedure confirmed by experts who know what they're talking about to genuinely assess. Is this a kid whose fears are founded in something, right? There are ways to do it that would a take the side of the political arena and b help protect kids who genuinely do need it, and that's going to be a lot better of a solution than just you know pious press releases. Because the thing is, you can run a very sort of you can run an opposition through the media and through public pressure to try and get a government to back down, but you can only do that when you have the public on side. And I'm worried that some of the left have not internalized the fact that the public are not on our side on this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Evan Scrimshaw is our guest. You can read his work at scrimshawunscripted.substack.com. I mean, I say this, you know, almost pedantically, you know, do you want to win elections or or do you want to look good losing them? And there is a little bit of that. Um, but I, I even look at the Ontario Liberals, Evan, who you and I have talked about at length, and, and I still want to in the remainder of our time. And I look and say the biggest issue for them is. How do we differentiate ourselves from the NDP? And they didn't do a very good job of it in 2022. They did a, a downright terrible job of it, to be honest, with uh, Stephen Del Duca as a leader and the platform that some of the, the candidates espouse. So this is an issue that's a tricky one. I know nobody, Bonnie Crombie, Nader Smith, it's dangerous to walk out of that ledge and go, I agree with a lot of what Stephen Lecce says. Now they might, but they need to find a way just not to dismiss it entirely like the NDP is going to do. And then you find that different. Then you find you can do that with healthcare, and you can do that with housing and you can do that. You, you can't look like a mirror image of the NDP. And and that was the danger last time out. And, and it bit them. So uh, I, I agree with all that. 
the the comparison I used was the uh, terror the anti terror legislation uh, mm-hmm. after the Ottawa Hill shooting in 2014. Um, the Liberals voted for the bill. They took a lot of heat from their from their left flank, but the reason they did it was because the Canadian people were at the time because of the terror attack they were willing to tolerate some invasion of civil liberties. And so in Trudeau doing it and defending that vote well in the Monk debate in 2015, he looked like a serious person at a time when there were genuine questions about, I like the guy, I like the platform. I don't know if he's up for the job. And if if you're a liberal leader who can neutralize this issue and get a couple of meaningful concessions. And, and again, I think Lecce would be willing to negotiate on specifics based on the fact that he prefaced all of his remarks with, obviously we care about, you know, we, you know, we care about kids who are in these situations. A liberal leader who does that would immediately identify to suburban educated voters who are worried about liberals competence, that they're serious. It would identify them to, uh, old liberals who have not been voting PC, that they are not just rotely progressive, that they are not just rotely, you know, a one note sort of just slightly less version of the NDP. And the third thing is, is that if the liberals can then get back to consistently being, you know, closer to 30, you know, in the low 30s, then some of the people who have voted NDP in the last couple of cycles, but voted for Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGinty because we have an electoral system that kind of requires it would come back. And that's the way you get the liberal party back in front. It's not by uniformly being left wing or universally, you know, universally being right wing. It's by being intelligent, being sensible, and by showing that there is a dexterity and a ability to pivot and react to information and to treat difficult subjects with the seriousness they deserve. Two quickies on the Ontario Liberal Leadership Race and to for people who need to know, September 11th cut off to, to register uh, to be in the party so you can vote in um, a ranked ballot election. And I want to get to that at the end of November. Um, quick one. Is this a two-person race between Bonnie Crombie and Nate Erskine-Smith? Uh, I believe so. Um, Yasser Nakvi, Ted Shu, and... Emil Sanji are they're 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 gonna be valuable because of the rank ballot. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But uh it looks like all indications are Bonnie Crombie is gonna come first on first references, but fairly short of the fifty percent threshold. And Nate Erskine Smith is incredibly likely to be that second candidate. It's gonna come down to Bonnie and Nate. And that seems like, yeah, exactly where I was going. The rank ballot changes things dramatically. I mean we could ask, here's a couple of names from the past. We could ask Peter McKay, who was ahead of Aaron O'Toole. We could ask Maxime Bernier. I wouldn't want to, but um, where he's ahead of Andrew Shear in uh, back in, you know, five, six, seven years ago. So, Evan, unless unless Bonnie Crombie has a massive amount of first ballot support, even that's just shy of the 50 percent that would clinch it, um, her her people have to worry a little bit because Nurse can Smith's just a lot more likely to be ranked second and she's a lot more likely to me to me to be ranked you're either ranking bonnie first or fifth maybe a fourth here and there nate's going to be second on a lot of ballots that's how i view it but it, it again it's a very much a coin toss to me yeah there are there are a lot of of abc voters there are a lot of anybody but Grumpy's floating around and a lot of the a lot of the people who are who are uh you know debating between the 
there, 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 there's certainly a lot of people on progressive in, in on the progressive side of the party who are referring to the four liberals plus mm-hmm. Bonnie in mm-hmm. this race, a not so subtle way of referring to the fact that she wants to govern from the right of center. And there's a lot of people who are sort of undecided on the four, but Bonnie's a clear five. And so she's going to need to be like 45 probably on that first ballot, I would say, because she is going to get a massive flow against her. And that's going to be really good for, for Nate's chances. But um, hopefully, you know, for, for her sake, 45 or above is probably the magic number she needs because she's not going to get a lot of help on that right ballot. Is she the least, in your mind, is she the least likely to keep pursuing this? Is this a one, sort of like Jean Charest, not not quite the same, but Jean Charest comes out of nowhere. He's, I think he was 71. I don't want to age him. I might even be short by a year or two, but he comes out of nowhere, hasn't been around for quite a while, which is not the case with Crombie. It respectfully to her. And but I, I think people look at the other four and go, they could build something together here. Now, Bonnie Crombie could win the nomination and Nate Erskine Smith could say, I can work with this. I can be almost, a, you know, a deputy leader, wait my turn or I could go back into the private private sphere. I think we know he's not he's not going to run for federal office again. I think we know that. But I, I wonder if you think that the other four are more really, really committed in the long term and. And Crombie may just go back to Mississauga if she doesn't win. I don't think there's a. I don't think she's a candidate if she doesn't win the leadership. I think she wanted. I think I've 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 heard from a lot of people that she was told this was going to be an easy leadership to win, and I don't think she was really prepared for the fight she's ended up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's a universe in which she's a candidate if she's not if she's not leader. Whereas I think. You know, win or lose, I think Yazernak v. Ted Shue, Nader Smith, I think they all have big roles to play moving forward in the party. Same with the mill. Um, mm-hmm. They've all got big roles to play, win or lose this leadership race. You can read his work. Uh, I highly recommend it. Always makes you think. Uh, Evan Scrimshaw, go to scrimshawunscripted.substack.com. Thanks so much for the time again and coming on Toronto Today. Thanks for having me. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. I think the best experiences in movie theaters are between 17 and 23. I don't expect to go to a movie (laughs) 10 years from now and go, wow, one of the best experiences ever in a theater. Uh, Let's go Gladys. That's not my wife's name, but whatever. Uh, Nobody's named Gladys that was born in the 70s. I got it. Fine. Let's go Myrtle. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, T2 Judgment Day. Saw it on a Sunday night. Just incredible. Schwarzenegger's actually in that video for Guns N' Roses, and uh, Sheba, Siddiqui will be front, Sheba Siddiqui will be front and center seeing GNR Sunday night. Now, two things on that. One, a astute listener, they're all astute, really, um, told us Carrie Underwood's not coming north of the border as part of this tour, so it's just the yeah. pretenders. She's working okay. on her legs. She's like... Spend the weekend in Toronto, or um, or or do at more. Yeah, do more squats. squats with some kettlebells. And I think she's doing the latter, not the former. She's not coming. I don't think it's a Mark a Donnie Wahlberg thing. I don't think it is where it's a vaccination issue because we've stopped that. Because <laughs> you had tickets for what was that show? New Kids on the Block, Salt and KOT and Peppa and Rick, Rick Astley, Astley. My I guy. Think, yeah. yeah. I might have been left. Amazing, I know you and I were NKOTB couldn't get into the country. You the you and I were gonna go, but I, I might have left after Rick Astley. I might have been there just for the, th- the opening act of the three bands. I really might have gone. I'm just I'm so into Rick. I can't even 
I got Rick Astley tickets for my wife's birthday once, and she was like, what else is there, basically? I don't blame her for saying that. <laughs> She's like, you so, got me something me you, you want to do. So you left with, I you think went I the sold the tickets. I was so upset by how that, that, that went. Um, you know, it right. wasn't, it wasn't a landmark birthday or anything, but yeah, Rick Astley tickets was not, she's like, you got me something you wanted. And I'm like, isn't that how it works after a while? That's <laughs> <laughs> no, never. Yeah. You're never like like your husband that. gets you a uh, men's dress shirts and he's like, oh, I'll wear those. Like that's, <laughs> that's not, that, that doesn't. That Happy I'm, birthday, babe. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, really quick. I, you don't, you don't have the story in front of you, but I'm going to flip it to you really quick so we can both look at it at the same time. What can we do to stop? I want to, we're going to talk about school buses and gorillas in a minute. So we're going to have some like, really, that's great. But can we stop with this media thing? Here's me. So we played that clip of Doug Ford and Colin DeMello and we're like, we're kind of like, ah, Doug Ford overreacted and Colin held his cool. I'm not always. A, can you confirm, Sheba? Toronto today is not always on the side of the media. We do our call outs from time to time. Ridiculous oh, I think headlines. We do a lot of Fear mongering. Yes. That's why I think we both have a very heavy and thick HR file upstairs. <laughs> yes, because we do call things out. Absolutely. So can we stop this? Here's the headline in the Toronto Star. Um, um, Tiff and Ticketmaster under fire for, quote, genuinely insane resale ticket prices as scalpers scoop up seats let me help you out here folks uh like sometimes sometimes there's something called supply and demand i learned about it when i was 11 and sometimes demand for a huge event outstrips supply i know it's the weirdest thing sometimes no, brady but it's tough like $250 Taylor Swift tickets, for example, are being resold by people for $1,500. Like, you're robbing people at that point. It, what's the cap? What's, what's, what should the limit be? There, this is as much as someone's willing to pay. Is that uh, what you're saying? Uh, greed is good, uh, Gordon Gecko. I don't know. I don't know what the limit is. But if you had, if you had to, like, I do think you're right. People are now buying tickets for things just to make money. I will tell you that was rarely the case in 1986, 96, maybe even 2006, where you'd buy a ticket and go, oh, damn, I can't go, or I bought too many tickets, or somebody doesn't want to go see Rick Astley with me. So so I'll, I just want face value back. Or you realize you've got something of value, and maybe you can put it on eBay, but that, but and, and they'll buy it. But you're right. But it's not a story anymore. It's not. The, the, the Taylor- I think something should change. I do think it. I think that I agree with this article. I agree with this headline because I think that they are robbing people. Ticketmaster. I, I mean, they pay. They post their tickets, their ticket sales, and then it just you get robbed with the resale. Something needs to change there because a lot of people can't even afford to go to concerts anymore. I guess we don't ask this about anything else, but think about when you buy something when does it go up? The only things to me, to me that go up in value are tickets for an event because the event hasn't happened and a house. A car doesn't increase in, a car doesn't increase ever in value. Maybe yeah, but a collector. I couldn't do it. Are you telling me if you had Taylor Swift tickets and you couldn't make it, let's say that night and someone offered you 1500 bucks, you would, you would do it. Well, if someone offered it to me, but, but if that was my, uh, yeah, would I feel a bit like, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would uh, probably uh, make like, Fifty. I would sleep better at night if I made a max of like fifty bucks on each ticket. Would I feel like I should be wearing a ski mask entering a bank? Uh, by ch- yeah, yeah. I know how. I get what you're saying. There has to be a Morally conscience at the end of the day. Yes, yes. You can't rob people. I know, but but uh, people have to know. 
have to know that this will happen. So is the complaint, hey, there aren't enough tickets for me? Like I see this, this is September. I watched this trailer last night, by the way. Oh my God, it looks good. And I love Benicio Del Toro. So this movie Reptile has Justin Timberlake, Alicia Silverstone, Benicio Del Toro. I like all three of those people. And then You lost me at Justin Timberlake. (laughs) I like him as an actor. Come on, the social network, he's great in that. Um, as Sean Parker, 200 bucks is, is the retail tickets listed. Regular tickets are 88. That's not insane. That's not disgusting. It's double the amount. I just Whoopity think it's do. morally wrong. I would love it if they, if resale tickets had to be sold at the exact price that they were bought. And, and you know, with technology now, it's absolutely possible. I think you can do more to do that. You're right. I think you can do a little bit more um, to do that. You want to weigh in on this, 416-870-6400. We asked you whether you're in or out on concert films, because Taylor Swift is going to put her ears to her into, make it into a movie. It's probably not done yet, but two hours, 45 minutes it's going to be. But it does get into 150 Canadian theaters beginning this fall. All right. I used to do a segment in Detroit way back when called, Could You Do This? And I love the concept of it. Like, could you be um, an umpire at a major league baseball game uh, and an umpire third base? How many calls are you going to get? A couple fair foul calls, a couple forced plays. I think I think most people would say they could do it. This is a trickier one, Sheba. This is driving a school bus, and we're getting to that time of year. And I bet you we have stories next week on it. Speaking of predictable media stories, school bus driver shortage. This board doesn't have enough drivers. We didn't. Oh, school's going to be first week of school's going to be a hot mess. And it was last year. People, my kids. And there's always some like six or seven year old kid that's dropped off at the wrong stop, and the parents are frantic, and yeah, the kid shows up three hours later. Now your kid will be. You have a high schooler that's starting. Will 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 that kid be on a bus? Or walking? No, he's he's walking. Okay. He should ride his bike. So we went from we went from elementary school where you could walk to to needing a bus for high school. And you're right. Like the morning, we gave them no choice. You're going to wait for the bus, and the bus is going to be there. But then I think the school gets out at I don't know three fifteen and or three thirty, and sometimes a bus wouldn't be at the school. Like they'd get on the bus at like four o two p.m. Oh, it's too long. Okay. Yeah, and too long. I, my recollection is last period would end at my high school, and it, you got to get going. You can't have a long conversation. You can't forget your tennis racket in your locker. You got to get on that bus. It's getting out but of there. But what if you had sports after school? Then, then there was a late bus at coming at five o'clock. There's a three o'clock kind of three o'clock three o five bus. Oh, I would just hang out at school till five. That's like the fun. That's that's where the fun happens. Yeah, but then there's like drugs and making out and various combinations of making out well on drugs. <laughs> and I, I didn't do any of that. I mean, I was I shouldn't say I didn't do a, whatever. So um, the school district of Philadelphia, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I'd be good at it. The school district of Philadelphia will pay parents to drive their kids to school. So listen to this. It's a parent flat rate program. They're not paying parents to drive a bus. They're paying parents who promise to drive their kids to school so that the buses, they don't need as many buses to employ. We do this anyway. The district employs 210 bus drivers down from 227. So to combat the shortage, the district has incentivized the job for for bus driver vacancies, but they're also paying parents. So I guess it's a two-part question. Could Could you drive a school bus? And I don't think that I could. Um, and I'm a good driver. So let's say, when you when you retire, let's say when down next the road, month. yeah, next month when you retire, right? That's our that's our big announcement next week. Please, yes, <laughs> I'm happy to I'm happy to do it. 
And let's just say they needed like a school bus driver. They came to you. They said, you know, you're a great member of the community. We were big fans of yours. We really love it. We really need help. We're strapped. <laughs> Don't play Until your December. old shows on the bus over the loudspeaker. Play some play some Bon Jovi and some Guns N' Roses. Because I'm, I'm asking this because I couldn't do it either. I couldn't. You couldn't drive I a, just, a, a school bus for for a no. week. No, no, I physically could drive the school bus. I just don't think I would want to. I know we wouldn't because. want to, but <laughs> like, is it? I I often wonder where's the chart for all the stops. How do they get in such a rhythm where they know to do this? Oh, well, they practice. Go out there today, and you're going to see all the school buses are out this week. The ones who have school bus drivers, yeah. and they're they're practicing the routes right now. So it's a great text question. Could you drive a school bus? 416-870-6400. I know it's the easy inclination to say, now you'd have to take a course. You got to get a commercial driver's license, all this stuff. But, um, and then you and I have had these many debates. These get really popular on our show during inclement weather where we're like, why is, why are schools open and the buses are canceled? Why is this happening? And if you cancel for the morning and all of a sudden you've got nothing going on in the afternoon, why can't you you bring the buses back for the afternoon when there's, I drove my kid because to school. Most of Why those do I kids have to... haven't gotten to school? They have oh. to stay home, and they don't have snow tires. You and I have, can argue about this forever. <laughs> if the, I understand why the buses are canceled when the schools are open. Maybe we should just drive them in. Uh, in whatever picks Christian Freeland up to go to the airport, let's drive the kids <laughs> to school in that. Hey, she can afford anything. She canceled her Disney Plus. The car, ne- yeah, thirteen bucks a kid. It, it, the car never goes off the road. Um, I, I like my recollection of school drive. I marveled. I'm like, where's the list? Where's the chart? They don't have phones back then. They're making like three-point turns in cul-de-sacs and turning around, and they know where to go. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. They just seem really organized, and they could turn back around without even looking at you and yell at you for something you were about to do. Yeah. Not something you, know you were doing. You know what ours used to play? Ours used to play George Michael blasting. He had a... <laughs> like a, a Oh, what are they called? A ghetto blaster, right? Correct. <laughs> yeah. Like a, a ghetto blaster, right on at the top, like above the steering wheel. And I don't know how he taped it up there or what he did. And he would just blast that while we were all in the back. And we'd be going crazy. We'd be like fighting. There'd be fights going on. There'd be all kinds of stuff happening in the back. He just blast. And he looked like, you know, out of the Simpsons, that bus Otto. I was just going to say, Otto wears the Otto. headphones so he doesn't have to hear he everything. exactly like yeah. Otto. And he didn't care what was happening as long as he had his George Michael. Play. Yeah. Every school bus should have more mill houses and, and fewer Barts. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 640 Toronto.